Members of the Legislature, the Honorable Douglas A. Ducey, Governor of the State of Arizona. Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters and experts to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm Ron Hansen. I cover the state's congressional delegation. This Monday, Governor Doug Ducey gave the State of the State address. We have a new Democratic Superintendent of Public Education and a legislature that's nearly evenly divided between Democrats and Republicans, at least in the House of Representatives. There's a projected $900 million surplus entering this session at the State House. So today we're breaking down Ducey's State of the State, specifically what he did and did not say about education. Here to help us understand what some of this means is Lily Altavina, who covers K-12 education for the Arizona Republic. Lily, so what did the governor say about education during his State of the State Monday? Not much. So during his State of the State, Ducey talked about, you know, plans that he's already talked about, his school safety plan, which he introduced last year, the 20 by 2020 plan, his teacher raise plan, uh, you know, some stuff about career and technical education. But advocates say it just wasn't enough. He didn't talk about any new revenue streams for education, which is going to be a huge talking point. And it was just eight months ago we delivered a 20% pay raise for hardworking teachers. But it's not really 20% already delivered, right? Right, exactly. So teachers have seen a, about, and it varies, about a 10% raise. He has to deliver now another 5% this year and then another 5% the year after that. So he's still got about half of that money to come up with. Okay, so the state needs to come up with another $165 million, roughly, just for the next installment of the pay raises expected to total roughly 20% by 2020. There are other financial demands on the public schools, too. Give us some of the big ideas on that. So he didn't really address that. He said he's going to continue to hold the line on raising taxes. That means no new dedicated revenue stream, so no new taxes. Okay, so if we put ourselves in a box of saying no new taxes, is $165 million this year doable? You know, I, I'm not 100% sure if, if it's doable, but if it was doable last year with higher than expected revenues is kind of what he said, that's how they came up with the money, then yes, they'll probably be able to do that again this year. But the question is if it's enough. So education leaders say they need a lot more money. Like the number that's thrown around is $1 billion to kind of get us back from recession era cuts. So the governor might not be able to avoid the new funding conversation forever, Because other lawmakers, even Republicans, are already talking about that. Republican Senator Sylvia Allen, who is the chairwoman of the Senate Education Committee, she already has a penny sales tax plan that would raise an additional $400 million to education. That's half of what the Children's Action Alliance would say would restore us to pre-recession numbers. Ducey seems resistant to that idea. He's, you know, already indicated that he's going to be resistant to that idea. Arizona already has one of the highest sales tax in the nation, so you can have like a $32 vehicle registration fee, but not a penny sales tax. Right. So you caught the key words there, right? One is a fee, one is a tax. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. So uh, if he doesn't come up with this money, I'm guessing there will be some teachers who let him know. Yeah. Red for Ed didn't end in May of last year. It didn't end when the Arizona Supreme Court knocked Invest in Ed off the ballot. Red for Ed is very like very much still alive. 
So, you know, I've been told there will be teachers wearing red, sitting in and watching the entire legislative session. They'll be demanding budget conversations. It's not going anywhere, and they're not going to be quiet about it. They said if lawmakers don't make a plan, this is what the head of the teachers union, Joe Thomas, said, they'll come back with Invest in Ed in 2020 on the ballot. And they say they're going to have support based on polling that they've done. You know, we've got Red for Ed that's already talking about walk-ins starting this Wednesday. They have more leaders and they've had, you know, about a year to think about all this. Okay, so you mentioned Invest in Ed. What does that mean? So Invest in Ed is the ballot initiative that made it onto the 2018 ballot and then was knocked off the ballot by the Arizona Supreme Court that would have raised income taxes mostly on the very wealthy. So that's sort of where teachers are headed with all this. There's another group that made a lot of noise last year, and that was students. After the Parkland massacre in Florida, uh, school safety became a major issue uh, driven by student activists as much as anything. Um, Arizonans have been pushing for more security measures here. What's been done so far and what else seems to be on the table? Well, so, you know, there has been some more money for mental health support, but not a lot last year. But during the state of the state, Ducey said he wants to try again for his school safety plan, which last year, to controversy, was endorsed by the National Rifle Association. He called for more school counselors, and he would want to drastically increase the amount of police officers on school campuses. So one quote that people are kind of sticking to is, he said, and that's why we're including enough dollars to put on cop a cop on every campus that needs one. Um, so we're not sure what e- every campus that needs one mean. We're not sure what the definition of that. In the ACLU said officers end up on campuses with more kids of color who are then disciplined at a higher rate than their white counterparts. I talked to Jordan Harb, a senior in high school who organizes with Arizona March for Our Lives. He attended the State of the State. He actually said he's optimistic that Ducey got a conversation rolling about this. But he wants to focus on the emotional and mental supports in schools. You know, Arizona has one of the higher, the highest student counselor ratios in the United States. So students actually want more counselors on campus. They don't want necessarily police officers on campus, at least those students with March for Our Lives. It's also worth mentioning when we're talking about education that Kathy Hoffman is the new school's superintendent. Her predecessor, Diane Douglas, battled and lost a power struggle with Governor Ducey basically from the earliest days of their administration. They started at the same time. Do we have any sense of how Hoffman and Ducey may work together? Not too much, but he's kicked this thing off, this legislative session off with this bipartisan shtick. So it's really up to him on whether they're going to stick to that. I don't have a crystal ball. You know, it doesn't seem likely because they don't have too many opinions in common, but they do have some. Okay, so is there an area where they seem especially in sync? Is there anything where there's obviously no overlapping views? So Hoffman supports career and technical education programs. Ducey specifically mentioned CTE in his state of the state and that he intends to give more support to those programs. Uh, they may clash when it comes to fund when it comes to funding sources, you know, I'm, I'm sure her fellow former teachers and teachers are going to hold her accountable when it comes to teacher raises. Uh, you know, they all might, may also clash with school resource officers, was, which was a big part of her campaign, was that school resource officers usually leads to more discipline of students of color. But generally, they're off to a civil start, and that's an improvement from the last administration. Yeah, so they're acting like grown-ups. Uh, they get a, a pat on the back for that. Yeah, so I mean, she's 
she's new. He's the governor. She's younger than Diane Douglas, but she also seems a little more sophisticated. She might know how to negotiate better. Theoretically, they both agree on charter school reform. Okay. Uh, Lily, thank you for all that uh, sort of setting the table for this upcoming legislative session as it relates to K-12. How can listeners keep up to date with your coverage of uh, education? Sure. So you can follow me on Twitter at L-I-L-Y-A-L-T-A. That's Lily Alta. Thank you. Thanks. Up next, we're talking to Craig Harris. Craig, let's start with the basics. What are charter schools and why are they in the news so much these days? Well, charter schools are public schools paid 100% with public dollars that are operated by private companies, typically nonprofits, but a few are basically just privately owned companies. And they provide an education to, to you know thousands of Arizona kids every year. Uh, they became a lot in the news last year because a pretty prominent school, Discovery Cremos, abruptly shut. They closed down. And right now, uh, executives at Discovery Cremos are being charged with fraud because of inflating their uh, enrollment figures. We started looking at charter schools last year and their role, and we found that charter operators are making millions upon millions of dollars and not paying their teachers as well. And we looked at their argument of whether they're performing at the same level or better than district schools. And what we found is that in some cases, charter schools are better, in some cases they're not. And I think if you are a taxpayer here in Arizona and you drive around the block, you're going to probably find a charter school in your neighborhood because there's 544 of them now across Arizona. And when you say they inflate their enrollment, that translates into more money for these schools. Is that correct? Right. And that was the problem at Discovery Cremas. They essentially lied about how many kids are going there. And the schools are paid on a per student basis. So if you're inflating your numbers, you're getting more money. And the state has accused Discovery Cremas of at least a $2 million fraud scheme. Craig, you've been examining Arizona's charter school system for many months now, and you've spotlighted how little oversight the state provides, how much money has been made in charters, and how uneven the education is for those in charter schools. All of that's raised the question of what, if anything, lawmakers plan to do about it this year. So let's get to the first question. What did the governor say about charter schools during his State of the State address? Actually, the governor didn't even mention the word charter schools in his State of the State address. He made a reference that there needs to be more oversight, but the governor did not make any comment at all as far as what kind of changes need to be done with charter schools, even though we've got the uh, attorney general, we've got the new school superintendent, we've got numerous lawmakers calling for reform. So one of the reasons that this is on the public agenda at all, in fact, probably the biggest reason, is because you helped put it there. You've put a, a hot light on the charter schools. It probably feels more like a blowtorch to some of those folks. And the state's hands-off approach to school choice generally, what are some of the ideas being kicked around right now to change the system? Well, Attorney General Mark Brnovich, who is a Republican, you know, he was one of the first uh, people of power last year who came out and really spoke out against charter schools, especially after we had documented that the CEO at Primavera had paid himself $8.8 million uh, despite having a dropout rate in excess of 40%. And, and, and Brnovich's response is he couldn't even believe that happened. So what he's trying to do now is give his office more power, uh, subpoena power, when it comes to civil matters. Uh, he's got plenty of uh, tools in his tool chest for criminal matters, for fraud, but he wants to get more uh, civil pr procedures. He wants the Auditor General to be able to go in and look at their books, and he wants to have a lot better accounting on 
public money. Um, he right now is having a little bit of a challenge finding a sponsor. He's hoping Kate Brophy McGee will pick this up, who's a Republican, who said she too wanted more oversight. But right now, the Attorney General is having a little bit of a problem getting some Republicans to help him. So what does that tell us if there aren't Republican co-sponsors to this? I think it'd be a lot of trouble in the legislature. Uh, the Charter Association is going to propose a handful of what they call reforms, uh, but even the Attorney General's office is saying they're pretty, not even lukewarm, they're they're cold. They're, there's not much what they're saying. It's more of a window dressing to say, hey, we're doing something. Uh, when the Charter Association, which is the group that represents the 544 charter schools, um, has adamantly posed any changes to charter oversight in the past. Now they're trying to make some what the AG's office calls window dressing because there's been such an outcry of abuses of, of uh, power, of insider dealings that have made multimillionaires of a handful of charter operators. So what else is being kicked around? Uh, is there anything regarding any of these uh, self-dealing issues that you've been writing about? Right. Well, the Attorney General's office would like to make it much more difficult on these what they call procurement matters, which sounds kind of you know mundane or bureaucratic, but it is a big issue. It, it stops self-dealing. It stops a charter operator from getting a no-bid contract. And what the Attorney General's office and a few others would like to see is that you have to put those out to bid, just as exactly what district schools do, what city government does, what county government does, what state government does. They want more openness. They want good government and not saying you can just go hire your brother because, well, he's your brother. You have to justify and put out to bid a construction contract or a management contract instead of just giving it to someone that you want to give it to. So is this a broadside against uh, school choice or charter schools uh, in Arizona or the operators, how much of this should be interpreted as attacking this charter school system? I don't think it's really an attack on the charter school system. No one is talking about changing the way charter schools operate. No one wants to tell basis. You no longer can focus on uh, AP curriculum, which has been extremely successful. They have some of the best schools in the country in a long waiting list. No one's going to tell Great Hearts you have to stop your traditional uh, program, which focuses on things like Latin and music. And we're all, oh, by the way, Great Hearts has a very long waiting list of, of parents who want to get their kids in there, or the equestrian school, or a music school. No one is saying anything like that to stop choice and to stop kids from learning in a different way. What people are saying is we want charter schools to play by the same rules when it comes to procurement, how you buy things, by opening up your books to show how much people are getting paid. So you stop this insider dealing that's creating multimillionaires um, with no oversight at all. And another thing they're saying is that you've got to create a board of directors that's not just your friends, that has some real oversight on what's going on, just like what a school district has. So you've kind of alluded to this uh, with it, it, among the state legislature that uh, we're not seeing a lot of co-sponsors from the Republican side of the aisle. How about the governor or the school superintendent? How intensely do any of the shareholders here really uh, feel about this as a, a reforming the charter school system? Well, the governor, I think, is doing it kicking and screaming and dragging his feet. Uh, a year ago when we asked him about a lot of these multimillionaires uh, making so much money from the charter industry. He His response was, I'm not concerned about CEO pay, I'm concerned about results. So only after we kept writing these stories, he somewhat grudgingly said, okay, fine, I'll do it. And it's kind of the same way you saw during his first term. 
He talked about giving teachers a pay raise, but when it broke down to it, it was less than 1%. Only when thousands of teachers stormed the streets in hot spring weather did the governor finally find a way to give teachers a raise. You know, his own kids go to a private school or went to private school. So the governor has not really been a huge advocate for public uh, traditional public schools. The new school superintendent, Kathy Hoffman, is a Democrat. She was a teacher. She is a very big advocate for change and for making a difference, as is uh, the new Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs, who has also pushed for a lot more transparency when she was in the legislature. So the governor has done things like Prop 123 to try and bring more funding to public education. He will point to um, uh, the efforts with the 20 by 2020 funding plan. Should we expect him to rally whenever some uh, proposal sort of gets some strength in the legislature that the governor will get behind doing something? Yeah, I would see that he would probably get behind doing something. I don't think he would veto it. I mean, he, I think already we're hearing that his budget includes uh, four new regulators at the charter board, which is woefully understaffed to regulate 544 schools. They only have 11 people on staff. Um, the charter board wants eight. So the governor, I think, is going to put four in his budget is what I'm hearing. And I think he's open to adding four more. So it's not like he's adamantly opposed to anything. It just seems that he's not out in the forefront. This is not a priority for him. Uh, as far as reforming charter schools. And part of that is because he has a lot of friends who are at two of the biggest charter schools, Basis and Great Hearts. And when you look at the programs that the governor has pushed, the two of the biggest winners are Basis and Great Hearts, who have gotten extra millions of dollars because of programs the governor has put forward. So uh, it's not like he is out there pushing for massive raises for teachers. He kind of had to find that money when he got put in box into a corner last year. Then he came forward and decided that, oh, well, there was enough money to give teachers a big raise. Okay, so bottom line is that uh, doing nothing sounds like it's not really an option uh, with the governor and, and the uh, amount of public attention this has gotten. It remains to be seen how aggressively they want to push all of this. Right. It's, it, it, sees, it will depend on how far it goes. I mean, Democrats are going to still push for a lot more transparency, asking for charter schools to do basic things like comply with the public records law, uh, which a lot of charter schools refuse to do, uh, disclose their salaries, which a lot of charter schools refuse to do. And Democrats are going to keep pushing for things like that and also on the procurement issues. And so now you've got an attorney general who is also using his position of trying to get some of these things done. So it will be interesting to see if the attorney general can actually push things through the legislature when the governor is really kind of been very hands-off on a lot of these charter schools issues and a lot of the scandals that have uh, developed with the charter school industry. There's a lot to absorb when it comes to the charter school system, and Craig Harris is the guy who keeps you closest to it. Craig, thanks for your insights today, and that's going to do it for this Gaggle podcast. If you have any questions, reach out to me on Twitter at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Craig, where can listeners find you? You can find me at C. Harris, A-Z Rep, if you want to reach me on Twitter or on email at craig.harris at arizonarepublic.com. Thanks so much. Gaggle listeners, we want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on the show, the state of politics, our coverage? Chime in on Twitter with the hashtag TheGagglePod. We'll be sure to reply. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a rating wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends about The Gaggle. Your support is what makes it possible for us to do this each week. 
Today's episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley, Taya Francesca Price, and Kayla White. Thanks again. We'll be back next Wednesday.